and we are kicking off episode number 12. Welcome into the Let's Be Frank video pod- podcast. I'm Jason Duey. Alongside me will be head coach Frank Monica. we got a loaded show for you. We're going to be talking LHSAA playoffs. We're going to be looking at some matchups this weekend for Tulane and LSU. And we're going to have special guest head coach from southeastern Louisiana, Coach Frank Selfo, whose team just earned a host bid in the playoffs as they take on Idaho this weekend. In the Let's Be Frank segment, we're going to talk turf or grass. So, Coach, uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring you on. Big weekend of football up and coming. And let's start out where we always do, which is prep. A lot of big matchups that are going to be coming up this weekend. And this is that this is an exciting time of year for high school football where if, if you're playing in the week of – uh, the quarterfinals, as you mentioned, you know, you're going to be pl- you're going to be having a practice on Thanksgiving morning, which is was always a goal that you would list in the preseason. And these teams have a special opportunity, but you have to stay focused because there's a lot of teams out there who don't get past this weekend because of that reason. Inability to be home for a week and stay focused. Right. Yeah. Way back in August, uh, everybody puts goals up there, and as I was, they asked the players' goals, and most of them will tell you the first: we want to be practicing. On Thanksgiving morning, want to be practicing that week and giving up their holidays. And I might add this, it's a nightmare for coaches about scheduling. They don't know exactly what the players prefer to practice in the morning. And most of them will agree, let's practice in the morning, coach, so we can get it done and go do something else. But yet that scares coaches because that something else could be a big distraction for them. So anyway, uh, here we are. The, I mean, you, you're in this, this, this quarterfinal round. It's pretty exciting here about what's, what's going on, a regional round, I should say. All right, and number one, a D1. Let's go to the D1 in the public school side. Uh, you got Ruston and Denham. Uh, Denham was there by virtue of a real controversial play against Benton about a guy taking a knee. You really need to research this and, and check it out. Uh, I really feel sorry for Benton because it looks like the fish really just blew this game. And there's no reason for it, especially when the coach conferred with him prior to taking the knee. But uh, look at that. But let, let's we do know that uh, that Benton is, is was a good football team, but Russ is also a number one a number one seed. So uh, maybe it'll be poetic justice there. Uh, next, uh, Zachary and uh, we look, Zachary should be a uh, very very good game against Southside. Southside is an up and coming team from the Lafayette area. Uh, really strong physical team, uh, but Zach is also loaded. Uh, next, you have Destrehan and East St. John, another big uh, renewal of, of their district, and, and Destrehan blew them out in the first game. And and look, Destrehan, listen, they're on a mission. They're very very talented, and and uh, East St. John, I think, suffered a little bit from not playing a real tough schedule. Uh, Westgate and Neville, Neville was always a perennial uh, dome team, and they've been there. They have a lot of skins on the wall, uh, but Westgate's also talented, but not as talented as it's been. Before, so that's the that's that bracket. Division two, public school side. You have Iowa and Lowerville. I think Iowa seems like the the the, the better of the, those two teams. Lowerville is young, uh, but they can cause some noise there. Uh, Bro Bridge and North Dakota. Bro Bridge has really been a sleeper. I mean, they had two big upsets in the first couple of weeks. So uh, North Dakota is a very very good team. That LSU commit on that team. Uh, then the matchup that a lot of people need to watch is Lakeshore. Lakeshore surprise a real real good Opelousas team last week. Uh, and and Lutcher, so that's going to be a two diverse offenses. Of you know, Lutcher's a really spread offense with Winfield the quarterback. That's the whole offense there. Lakeshore's a weak T team that created a lot of issues, but because people don't run it, they don't see it. So that should be a very interesting game. Uh, and they have to go to Lakeshore for 
um, for that for that ball game. West Feliciana and North Vermilion. Uh, we're hearing big things about West Feliciana, how talented they are. North Vermilion has, has always been a very, very physical team, so we could see some there. But uh, they they still have some other marquee games I think that are bigger. Uh, Manny Rosepine, Manny's loaded team. Again, I used to say that it'd probably be a team destined for the Superdome. Uh, Varles and St. James. St. James, is, I don't think you uh, you count St. James out yet because they have speed. Speed, as we said before, never has an off day. Uh, Varles is a very, very good football team this year, uh, but uh, I don't know if there would be any match for St. James's speed. Union Parish and Patterson. Uh, Patterson, just an average-type football team, uh, excited to be as far as they are. But Union Parish, right? Coach Batch has really done a great job. They're always physical. Uh, might have one of the best weight programs in, in the entire state. So look for Union Parish to, to, to get the better part of this. A. Meeting Berwick. Uh, Berwick came, came up with a big upset last week. And, and uh, so uh, who knows uh, how this is going to turn out. But A. Meet's always, if you ever go on the A. Meet and watch them play, it's pretty, it's a novelty to, to watch them come out of the locker room. And, and uh, you know, they just play hard. And everybody in that school better be able to run. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and that's going to D4. You know, D4 Oak Grove and Kentwood. Kentwood, when you, when you sit playing uh, by the big water tower there and everybody knows when you go there you're in for you're in for a, a treat and uh, so they go that's a long long ride uh, for Oak Grove there okay then you have Haynesville and Bezeal uh, always that knows that all of these guys are from the north uh, Magnum and, and um, Arcadia uh, a lot of a lot of tradition there with these between these teams and Logansport a team that always seems to be there and not in the Superdome but get there and Homer will lock up in that one so we'll keep an eye on that one a lot of people don't know about these Hainsville and Kent will probably have the most notoriety in Oak Grove naturally in that division going to the select side uh, you have Warren Easton is going gonna, is gonna to line up. I think that Warren Easton got a good football team against Karen Crow. Uh, Karen Crow's a sleeping football team, well coached, and, and they, they will have some talent out there, but Warren Easton just got speed. And I don't know if they've had the, the they've been challenged lately, and, um, and well, because they had to buy the first week, so, but don't care, count Karen Crow out. Uh, on the other side, Northwood and Brother Morton. Brother Morton was the beneficiary of a great, great draw. They had a big upset against uh, St. Aug last week, and uh, I think that, the, you know, they have a very good chance here against Northwood, and they could end up in, in the Superdome on that side of the bracket. On the other side of the bracket, you got John Curtis playing Bird. So it looks like John Curtis has got – that's a decent decent matchup there for them. Uh, look for them to, to win that ball game. But the big more key game here is Carr and Catholic High. Uh, I mean, that's, that's going to be a brutal contest. Um, the Catholic High won last week, uh, beat Rommel to, to get there. Carr is just, just an unbelievable football team. The question is, how healthy would that quarterback be? So that's a game you would, you would love to see. That game should be, should be the state championship game. But because of the, the forfeits that Carr had to, had to endure, uh, that's, that's what we have. Uh, and D2. If St. Thomas More and Madison Prep, St. Thomas More is on paper, looks like the team to beat, but Madison Prep is very, very talented, very, very, very physical football team. Then you have Kennedy, John F. Kennedy going against E.D. White. Uh, look for E.D. White to win this ball game and, and advance to the, 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 the semifinal round. Uh, then you have De La Salle and Lafayette Christian, another big game here on that division, probably the biggest there. De La Salle, very talented. They have two great running backs. 
uh, Lafayette Christians come around. They have, a, they have an electric quarterback. Uh, they have, they're very, very talented. Uh, but um, the, this game could go down to overtime. I mean, this could be an excellent game. I would, I would love to see this one. And then you have Shaw versus Turley. Shaw, by the big, big benefit for them is dropping down to 4A. And something that I think the Catholic League needs to take a look at. We talked about that last week. And they're dropping down to 4A. Now look at them. They, they are in the regional round. They have a chance to play to play Turlington. Uh, Turlington's a good football team. They're solid. They got one loss of the year, but they're solid. But but um, uh, it'd be interesting to see the outcome of this one. And then the D3. You have Newman, the Newman number one seed. And because of University High, everybody's kept an eye on University High, where they're going to end up. And, and uh, all of a sudden, Newman gets them in the next round. And um, uh, it, it'll be tough on Newman because University High has two great players and, uh, on, on defense. And they, they also play some offense, too. And they can play some defense. So it could be a long, long night uh, uh, for Newman if they don't play well. But if anybody can defeat them, I think Newman has a weapon or two uh, in the passing game and maybe advantage there. It all depends on with, with, with they can, if they can move the ball. Uh, Calvary Baptist and Dunham. Uh, look for Dunham, very, very talented. Look for Dunham to, to probably escape with a win here. Calvary Baptist has got a few few players, but look for Dunham to, to advance. Notre Dame and Episcopal. Um, Notre Dame had, a, had an overtime game last week, and, and they won the overtime game mainly because the other team didn't have a kicker, so they had to go for two. And they stopped the two-point conversion. Episcopal, well, well coached by Coach Bruce I uh, Don't have the people that he's had in the past. They're very, very young. But, man, he's got them there. And, and don't tell them. They will play extremely, extremely hard. No matter who he puts on the field, the 11, they will play extremely hard. Then uh, the SEC, um, St. Charles Catholic, with goes to Parkview Baptist. Um, I don't know if it's the same Parkview Baptist as, as it used to be years ago with the big old lineman. And, and uh, they're six inches across the eyes. But uh, you got to like St. Charles' chances of going there. I think St. Charles will put more speed on the field. And especially with Arthur Moore at quarterback, it, it makes him makes really, really special. And D4, uh, you have the Million Catholic and Southern Lamb. Could be a good ball game there. Southern Lamb has a lot of talent. The VC is very, very physical and, and really, really, really big. St. Martin's and St. Mary. Don't know much about St. Mary's. St. Martin's a one-dimensional team. They probably have a real, real good running back. And uh, so if they slow him down, St. Mary's would have a good chance. But if they don't slow him down, it could be it could be a tough, tough night for him. Uh, Washita and um, Christian and Glenbrook. Uh, probably the winner there is Washita Christian. They're, they've been in the Superdome before. They know how to win. They know how to play. Uh, they were one team that opted to, to come down to Superdome last year when everybody else in select could play at home. They wanted, and their coaches, they wanted to play in the Superdome. So uh, they got a taste of it, and I'm sure they want to come back. Ascension Catholic, Opelousas Catholic. Could be an interesting game. You know, Ascension Catholic had a real, real big win against Riverside and, uh, and surprised a lot of people last week. And Opelousas Catholic has had a fine year. So that could be an interesting game on that level. But all in all, as Jason, that you said it before, it's all how you handle Thanksgiving week. You could see this is a great, great trap week for a lot of teams. And uh, a lot of coaches are really concerned about this because, you know, they can get too much turkey and, uh, and maybe beat a turkey on that week. Yeah, and, you know, looking at the games that you mentioned, a few that I kind of want to uh, kind of go back over and mention as well. One of them is, of course, going to be Destran East St. John. I'm going to be calling that game this week. So I, I get this. I got to watch East St. John play earlier this season. As I mentioned, they kind of have a, a mix of young and older talent. You mentioned, Coach, specifically that they are uh, – the, the, the schedule that they had wasn't particularly um, overly difficult, but – they're going to get a chance to get their second attempt at Deshran, but we know what type of team Deshran is. 
Zachary Southside coach is interesting just because it's that old blood versus that, you know, um, that new school. Southside, a very new team. I think that'll be interesting. But I think the biggest game of the week is, like you mentioned, Carr versus Catholic. It probably should be the state champion. But, Coach, here's the question, too. How do you handle winning that game? Because it's not like you got somebody that you're going to be able to run over the next week. you got to play John Curtis, likely, likely have to pay, play John Curtis the following week. And then you still have to play Warren Eastern, likely out of that top part of the bracket. So whoever wins that game is not, a, is not necessarily going to be the state champion, but they definitely have that fast track and feel like they should be able to win it. Right. Exactly. So um, let's go ahead and take a look at the local college roundup and take a look at some previews. Coach, LSU is going to be taking the road and going to College Station after their win over versus UAB. They handled business as they should have in UAB. Coach, Texas A&M is just in a really rough spot right now. They are not very consistent. They can't move the football offensively. They've struggled in games that they likely shouldn't have. Is there is there an opportunity for Texas A&M with nothing to lose to be at home with the 12th man in that environment and pull the upset against LSU. No question. That's a, that's a great environment if they show up. But there's been a lot of controversy last week that nobody showed up for the ball game. And I think that, uh, that uh, the media got a hold of that. Uh, coach Fisher's a very, very good football coach. I don't know what really happened this year. Their, their quarterback situation has been a revolving door. And, uh, you know, they had an ex-LSU quarterback, Johnson, transferred over there. Uh, he had gotten injured. I thought he was a really good quarterback, too. And they had the number one recruiting class, class in the nation. So I don't really know what's going on. Something's not happened. The chemistry there, that locker room is not clean. Um, there might be some doubt there. They cannot get to a bowl. But I'm going to tell you that they, if there's one game that they can play for is against LSU because this has been, remember when they had that 7-8 overtime game when, the Bay Ogeron was there, a uh, very controversial game also. So this has always been a tough, tough game for LSU, the close game. And uh, But I remember now on the flip side of it, Coach Kelly's got his team grounded. I think he's got them well-focused. They understand what's at stake here. Um, if, now, they're still in the championship game in the SEC, but they're not necessarily in the Big Four yet. So if they have to win this, they have an opportunity to get to the Big Four. So um, very interesting. But what you know, the guy in the paper the other day said, without Daniels, where would LSU be? And I tell you what, they wouldn't be very far because that guy is tremendous. And especially Saturday night, he came out blazing and throwing the football all over the football field and opened up his offense. But uh, listen, uh, if I I would take the points in Texas A&M in this one. A little scary. It's a little scary in terms of the uh, where they have to go to the college station and coach. You know, a wounded animal gets – gets a little bit more defensive and a little bit harder to, to defend. So I'm looking for a, a close ball game here, and let's hope that LSU pulls it out. Coach, interesting topic that we, we have a chance to talk about here with this LSU versus A&M matchup. You, you know, we, we've talked about many times with many different coaches in the college game and the high school game about transfer portal, about these new uh, the new NIL deal. And A&M is kind of the poster child of this era of NIL deal. They signed the number one class. And call a spade a spade. It's no question why they got the number one class. Kids are not clamoring to go to College Station, Texas. They were there because the NIL deal was was perfect there. It was a great setup. But what we're seeing is that it's not. It's disjointed. It's not connected. So do you think that A&M is going to be a cautionary tale for other programs that say, well, we're just going to go out on a spending spree 
and sign every top player that we can because it seems like there's been nothing but culture issues there. There's been suspensions. There's been all sorts of internal struggle with having all these top-tier prospects and maybe not meshing with the culture that you've tried to cultivate and create at A&M uh, as Jimbo Fisher has. Oh, you have to really, really watch that because if, it, if you blend the wrong guys in the wrong spots, oh, that locker room gets, gets really messy and you end up being like, like a, uh, the warden in the prison. You know, you have to keep everybody happy and, you know, there's only one ball to go around. They all want the touches they want all, and they all want playing time and that's a big thing. So you're going to have a lot of internal conferences with that. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a lot of baggage that comes with that situation and that's what people most important thing you want character on your team when you recruit a kid you want a kid to be there three or four years to help you program and not be un, be selfish not about him so i think that's that's just something to probably got into the program who knows i mean we, we're not there but uh, i do know this they have more of endowment they're probably second in the country in their endowment that that school has a lot a lot of money and uh, so they, they can buy out that contract even though it's like $40 million left, but they could buy up that contract if they wanted to. I think the story is they have the most Fortune 500 like executives graduated from A&M, so it's no shock that they have the money to back it up. Coach, in our next matchup, we're going to talk about, we talk about Tulane uh, getting a big win versus SMU, 59-24. to And it's a, a big win, having to turn things around from that UCF game, be able to, to focus – uh, put the blinders on and look at your next opponent, and they handle business. And that's – it shouldn't be shocking to see that from this Coach Fritz-led team. Well, I, I tell you, I was at that game and froze my fanny off that, on Thursday night. But it was worth it, was worth it because they came out. Uh, they, were, they were great on defense. Special teams are just unbelievable with them. They had two big kickoff returns that set up touchdowns. One was 55 yards, other was like 50 yards to set up uh, two, two of their scores. But they were good in every phase. Uh, the only little glitch that they had was a guy trying to pick up a, a rolling punt. And he should never tried to do that. And that, that actually led to SMU's first score from the 10-yard line. So, I mean, but uh, they were dominant in every phase. Um, and, and, and SMU, they were on a short week also. SMU looked like they didn't even practice. I mean, they, they really looked flat in the whole deal. And But Tulane actually took it to them. Uh, credit to Coach Fritz by having this team ready on a short week. I think they were a little embarrassed about that Central Florida thing. And, uh, boy, they responded. And now they have a chance to play uh, Friday morning at 11 a.m. Uh, for the, the chance to play, to host the thing. That's the first time in the history of Tulane that they've had an opportunity to host a, a championship. So, And Cincinnati's talent, the last year's game, uh, Tulane should have won it. it. It came. It was a very, very close game, and, um, and they should have won the ball game. They had a couple turnovers, a couple plays that meant the difference in the game. They lost a number of games like that. That's what people don't realize about Tulane. They were on the verge of winning four or five other games. One of them was just a missed field goal at the end, which is a chip shot. So, uh, but now that this year things are falling together for them a little bit better, and uh, and I think that was their war cry going into the season. They knew those kids knew that they could be there because they got two of the finest linebackers in the country as a tandem. I don't know if anybody's got got two like them. Uh, so uh, don't be a bit surprised to see them beat Cincinnati and get in that championship game. Coach, what's one key in that game that Tulane has to follow through, and if they're going to beat Cincinnati? Uh, I think the key is that the quarterback practice to play well. He has to take care of the ball, and he has to play well. He does a nice job of running. He doesn't have polio. The guy can actually run a little bit, and he's a very accurate thrower. Uh, I was surprised at the their receiving core, how talented they are. And another thing about it, they have an older team. 
And I think that makes a big difference. You have an older team that uh, the night was senior night and they something like 20 seniors. I mean, in, nowadays in D1 football, you don't get that. I mean, that's guys that's getting their degrees. That's guys that have been there a long time, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, Coach Fritz said in the paper, he brought in Spears, his best running back, and, and said, listen, you get an opportunity, you ought to go pro. I mean, you know, so that's – when do you see a head coach tell that to a player, you know, and, and uh, but um, I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, anyway, it will be fun to watch this on – I can't wait to see it on, on uh, Friday morning. It's a great opportunity for Tulane. Again, it will be on ABC, the, like the primetime spot, primetime game, so – Awesome to see Tulane get elevated to the, the level of status that they had this season. Again, all credit to Coach Fritz and the building that he's done at that program. I mean, just we, we can't speak enough to the job he's done. We're going to go ahead and turn the page to look at the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints defeated the Rams 27-20 to 20 in that matchup. Coach, what are your takeaways after the Saints' victory against the Rams? Oh, Jason, I've always said I think Dalton is a pretty good quarterback. I mean, he gets – I don't know where the people – what are they watching? He gets a bad rap. I mean, they blame him when a receiver kept, touches the ball and then he tips it for an interception. They blame him when a guy taps the ball at the defensive line. Do they blame him when they can't get the best players on the field? I mean, that's amazing. I'm, I'm amazed at what he did. 21 out of 25 uh, throwing the ball the other day. Had some great throws, had deep throws. Uh, you know, he got – Alave on a, on a deep route. I mean, beautiful throw right there. I, I don't know what else they can add. Now, it, it did help that Taysom Hill came in. And I did see Taysom Hill. I kept saying, I said, he's running a wildcat, but he's good enough to throw when he's going to throw one. And sure enough, he got an opportunity to throw a pass the other day, which they should do a little bit more of with him. But that gives them – they're not exactly a dual quarterback situation. He's just a wildcat guy. They give him that tough, that tough uh, yard and – Good middle middle distance guy. In other words, when it's second and second and three, second and five, uh, or, or something like that, he can get move the change for you. And I think that's a big advantage there. And the defense was shorthanded. I mean, look at that offensive line. Three new new starters in the offensive line. Three. I mean, that's a, that's that's unbelievable that that they did so well. Um, and I'm, I think that if they put that together, and they get some of those guys back. They actually can, can make a little run here. I know it's be tough. French, Frisco is tough. You saw them on TV last night. They're a really good football team. But but uh, look, I like their chances this week also. All right, then I'll do it for our first segment, and we're going to go ahead and head to our break in just a moment. Before we do that, we want to thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Samuel Accardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Henri Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate title and escrow services through our affiliate State Title LLC. The River Parish is at our home, and serving our communities is our passion. In our next event, we're going to have on special guest head coach of Southeastern Louisiana, Frank Selfo. And later on, we'll have turf or grass. And in Football 101, we'll have pregame routines. So remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and Henri P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. 
We provide complete real estate title and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with RK Construction. This family owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King LaPlace thanks the community for 29 years. Through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boutron and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Tonight, our special guest is coached in high school, college, and the professional ranks. He coached with the Jacksonville Jaguars and in college, coached at Tulane, Louisiana Tech, Arizona, and the University of Texas San Antonio before landing as the head coach at Southeastern Louisiana University since 2018. We want to welcome on our special guest, Frank Selfo. Coach, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And this is your third time in the playoffs while, out, while at Southeastern. What do you give credit to for your program of playing at such a high elite level over the past uh, years that you've been coaching? You, you know, I think we, we've developed a culture there. Uh, you know, it's everybody's got good players, and, and, uh, and, you know, you go out and you play every Saturday, but there's a reason why some teams continue to win over time, and they consistently win, and I think it's because of the, the values and ethics and morals that you have in the locker room and, and the the more guys we recruit to fit those categories, I think the better we are. And, and we've developed that. We lost, when I got here in 19, we went four and seven in the last game of the year. We lost 44 to nothing uh, to Nichols down in Thibodeau. And I said, after that game, that'll never happen again. And I made some changes on our staff and I made some changes on our football team personnel wise. And we haven't looked back since. And I, and I think it's our players bought in, our staff has bought in, our administration has bought in on, the vision that we all have, which is to have consistently uh, have success 
national level. And that's, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to do right now. Yeah. Coach, uh, you know, going back a little bit to just talk a little bit about your background because you've been a head coach in high school. You were assistant coach. You and I had an opportunity to work in high school together at Jesuit. Then we worked together at Tulane and, and then uh, I was gone and you you and that 12 and 0 1998 uh, team at, at, at Tulane University. And I'm sure you got a, a lot of comparisons with that in, in your team now. You know, veteran team, things like that. But before we go any further, you know, I got everybody needs to know out there. Frank Monica has been instrumental in me where I'm at now and throughout my career. Uh, he helped me uh, in high school. Uh, we worked together at Jesuit. I was a head coach. Uh, my first job was as a head coach. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. In fact, I was the only coach. We didn't have a staff or anything else. I used to have to dress out at practice because we only had 15 players. Was that a revolt? Uh, yeah. Years later, uh, he hired me a Jesuit, and I went to work for him, and I learned about organization and things like that. And uh, when I left there, I thought I was ready to be a head coach again, and I wasn't because I couldn't do it like he did. But then a few years later, he was instrumental in getting me back and uh, hiring me at Tulane. And I was I was able to learn again from him. And then throughout the years, you know, Coach, you meant so much to me in my career, uh, being able to lean on you, talk to you, see you. Uh, you're always uh, uh, you know, just so comfortable to be able to talk to you about whatever I needed to talk to you about and lean on you. So uh, I, I just want to tell everybody thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, thank you, Coach. But, but you had a lot to do with, you know, Coach, you, you have that personality that's engaging, engaging to the alumni, engaging to your own players, and, and, I, and I think that they respect you an awful lot for what you bring to the table. And, you know, by, by being well-rounded, Coach, what, what, what do you think is the biggest difference between, or is there any difference between high school, college, and, and pro? Because you, you coach on every level, and I remember you telling me some stories about some, some pro players about not everybody in the NFL is a great player. So what do you think is the biggest difference in, in, in getting the, those guys together, especially in the NFL, uh, to be winners? You, you know, the, the NFL is a different animal altogether. I, I think the it's really almost easier to coach guys in the NFL because the stakes are so high for them to be able to, to keep their job. Uh, they don't have a lot of high paying jobs like they can get over there. And, you know, the, it's very, it, it's critical for them to be able to perform at a high level. So I think as a, you have to build trust so much faster uh, because they need to know that you're going to be there for them and that what you're teaching them and what you're telling them is actually going to help them. And when they do that, then they, they're all in. And when they go all in now, they are really all in. I think in college and high school at times, especially in college, really, there's so many things that uh, they divert their attention. These guys, got they, they got so much stuff to do. And in college, you have a lot of free time. It doesn't, sound, doesn't seem like you have a lot of free time, but you do. Uh, classes now online, uh, the, you know, they got we don't have classes on Fridays. There's a lot of evenings that they don't have anything to do. There's a lot of free time, so you have to really, I think, corral those guys in and uh, teach them, you know, let, get them to understand what's so important. And, you know, in high school, at least they got their moms, you know, and their dads. But I always said in high school, if something happens, you call the mom and dad. In the NFL, something happens, you call their agent. In college, something <laughs> they call you. You know, you call the coach. And uh, that's kind of how the whole process works out. So, you know, it's it's all different. Uh, all of them have great the great experiences. There's good coaching at every level, but I will tell you this: there's bad coaching at every level too. There's there's guys that could care less about fundamentals. They could care less about uh, you know. They, I always said that if you hadn't coached high school football, you really don't know how to teach. 
you know, you'd really, you, you're really going to struggle in this profession, being able to relate to players and, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the purest form of coaching and teaching at the level because you're starting with nothing, uh, no knowledge of anything. It's a it's just a lump of clay and you're molding it. And, uh, uh, I, I, and I think that's always been, you know, for me, helped me out in this profession, being able to take kids and develop them, you know, over time. And I've always had um, – that's been the biggest reward to take a – a freshman who came in and when he walked out as a 22 year old senior or 23 year old man, and he, we got the most out of him and he got the most out of himself. I think that's the most rewarding thing for me. Coach, that was so prophetic. That's, that's really, really great stuff right there. What you just said, coach, when you first got there, I remember talking to you and you came to our quarterback club one night and you said that you wanted to recruit locally because prior to that, that when you inherited that job, you had a lot of guys that were JC guys and they weren't local guys and, and they weren't high school players. So elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, we did. Uh, we started in Hammond and we work ourselves out. Uh, we want every player that we can get. That's good. Right. And uh, we don't get them all. Uh, a lot of them go to a lot of different places for different reasons, but we're going to start in this area first. I don't look, I, I like California. I don't go out there. I don't know. Maybe the podcast goes out there, but whatever, but <laughs> ain't coming out there to get, players i can tell you that because i don't think they're tough enough to play in the south i think the south has the best football uh, i think it's proven year in and year out throughout the country the best players come from the south uh there's there's more passion about the game down here and uh so i'm from louisiana coach you know that i want to give the kids of louisiana the first opportunity to go to school get a degree play college football it's a great game and we all love and have that opportunity before i go out and go anywhere else but we're, we, we also have to field a competitive team. We also have to field a team who we feel like gives us the best chance to win on Saturdays and advance in the playoffs. And if we got to go somewhere else to get that piece or that part or fill that hole, I will. But we are going to start with Louisiana high school kids first and then go out from there. Yeah, Coach, you know, it wasn't long ago that Southeastern actually dropped football, as you know. Yeah. And, and, and you actually you know, came in and you, you made a very, very consistent program and people can identify with it. And it's great for Hammond and, and the university to see you guys doing as well as you as you possibly can. But coach, with the with the landscape of everything changing out there uh, with the NIL thing and the transfer portal, how do you guys at your program at your level adapt to something like that? Yeah, you know, it was kind of funny. Yes, that we had a I had a recruiting in my office on the last home game and his parents were there and. They asked us what our NIL policy and deal was, what we had. And I said, well, every other week you go get a dozen donuts from Mary Lee. <laughs> you want to play ball? Let's go play ball. You looking for money or you looking for somebody to do, then you need to go somewhere else. We don't have that. Uh, we, we're, we're back. We're still in the purest form of we're going to give you a full scholarship. We'll pay you room, board, tuition, books, and fees. And uh, you're going to play a great game in a great stadium, great environment, and you're going to win. And if that you're looking for more than that, this ain't the place for you. So, you know, from that standpoint, that's just the way we handle it. The transfer portal is a little bit different, Coach. I think that uh, – and I talk to coaches all the time. There's been some – there's a lot of positive in that. Uh, there's also the opportunity for you to ruin your entire culture. Because if you bring the wrong guys in or too many of the wrong guys, uh, they have an opportunity. You, you really have to gauge your team to find out if the leadership can handle uh, too much external, uh, it, too many external issues 
that could possibly come with taking transfers out of there. So I think that's really a touchy situation. You know, the college, the coach's profession, uh, we all know each other. Everybody knows each other. And so you got to really trust those guys when they tell you he's a great kid. He just really couldn't play here. Uh, and so he kind of got put on a back burner, but he's a you know good student, good kid, and loves the game. Well, we might roll the dice on a guy like that. But we turned down a lot of players now. I mean, uh, really good players, high-recruited kids out of high school that we just don't feel like fit what we're looking for uh, from a culture standpoint. They're good players. We can see that on film. But that's not – you know as well as I do, that's not what makes a good football team. It's not about the players. It's about the culture in the locker room and then that ter- permeating over to the field. Yeah, Coach, I, I always said, you know, Nancy, my wife, and your wife, Harley, can pick out the blue chippers. <laughs> That's recruiting is the recruiting is that guy that you know look underneath every rock and look at those intangibles that he's got. Coach, how many guys can you sign this year? Well, how about that one? That's a good one too. The NCAA and all their infinite wisdom. Uh, that's the worst run organization in the history of the world, besides the fact <laughs> that that's about the dumbest group of people that are supposedly smart, dumbest decisions. Uh, they they've. Uh, retroactively allowed you to sign uh, almost as many as you want and push them back to last year's class because of COVID. And then, which means you can have a big class this year, but what they didn't allow for is the increase in the amount of scholarship limits. And uh, our university is, we're guided by the scholarship budget limit on that from 63 scholarships uh, in our budget. So some schools will be able to take advantage of that. Uh, We're not one. Uh, so we'll go. We'll still stay by the old rules because of the amount of from a budgetary standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, uh, other schools will be able to just go in and fill up their rosters. Basically, is what they want to do. That it all came about because the FBS uh, kind of passed a rule that they were willing to cut a bunch of guys just so they go outside more guys because they didn't like the ones that they had and then force them into the portal, right? And uh, so now they're looking up and going, "Wait, we can't." we can't fill our scholarship limits because we got to sign more than 25. Well, yeah, you cut all those other guys and that's why you did that. And that's why you're in a situation you're in, but uh, the powers yeah. and just, you know, and put the head in the sand and it butts up in the air and said, go ahead and do what you need to do. <laughs> coach, every coach in recruiting has a so-called philosophy about the type of person they're looking for. Uh, how do you guys just, just uh, summarize exactly what do you narrow your guys to and a guy that you would take and a guy you won't take. Yeah, love ball, coach. Love ball. Guys that that uh, you, gym rats. You always you always called them gym rats. You you know you you always said, and hey, that guy's a gym rat. You go, whoa, that's a big one right there. That's a good one. So it's mm-hmm. those guys. So when it comes down to two people, uh, you you can kind of tell you and you know that you talk to them, you watch them play, you watch them how the, the passion that they play with, uh, and and you just you have a feel for them and. You, the high school coach is telling you, look, he's our leader. I'm just telling you, he's the best player on the team. I know you like that one. He's bigger, faster, and stronger, but this is the guy. And I'll give you a great example, uh, Gage Laverdane. Gage Laverdane is one of the best players that we have. He's one of the best players in the country. <coughs> Excuse me. And he wasn't recruited by anybody. But that guy loves ball. Put a ball in his hands and watch him go. Football, basketball, I don't care what. He is just such an unbelievable competitor. And uh, so the, the number one trait for us is does he really love the game that we're trying to – because it's so hard, right? The game is so hard to play. 
and stay locked in for four or five years, man, the grind, the lifting, the uh, study halls, the meetings, the practices, the games, and it just keeps on and on and on. And you have to really have a passion for it to continue to do it. Yeah. Coach, uh, you have a, a, a couple of guys on our team, you know, Justin Dumas has gotten hurt. And, and yeah. you know, we really think that uh, Josh Vickner is another kid that really thinks the world of y'all and, and, and you. And, and thank you so much for, for allowing those guys on your team. But, Coach, uh, tell me a little bit about the Idaho, that you're a big opponent on, on Saturday. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I think when you put the film on, the first thing that jumps out at you, how well coached they are how uh, sound they are in all aspects, offense, defense, special teams. And, and uh, you know, you're always looking for that uh, that little thing that you can take advantage of on either side of the ball, right? And there's just nothing. Man. We're grinding on that, and we can't – you know, we just hadn't figured it out. And it, they, that guy's done a great job. Coach Eck is coming in one year, flipped that program around, they used to be FBS, and then they went to FCS, and had, had, they have not been very successful. He comes in there one season, flips the program. They're in the playoffs in a tough conference, and it's because of how they play. I mean, they're just so sound. They don't turn the football over. They're plus 10 in the, in the turnover margin. Uh, they've got two great wide receivers, the quarterbacks, freshmen, but you don't see that, right? And then their running backs are explosive. And then on the defensive side of the ball, nobody runs free. Their linebackers are active. Uh, two defensive ends are really good pass rushers coming off the edge. And uh, their corners are really good cover people. So I, I think when you – the first thing that jumps out at you is how sound they are and how they just don't give up big plays. If you're going to score, it's going to it's gonna cost you some time and a lot of plays, and you're going to have to be efficient doing it. You can't shoot yourself in the foot. But Coach, I think it's, it's just so exciting that you're in the playoffs. There's nothing like the playoffs. I've always said D1 should have gone to your format – Mm. Long, long time ago. I know they, they're looking at it now, and it, it makes sense. I never could understand why they didn't do it. I was at a, a meeting one time in NCAA, and I remember two prominent coaches, Coach Paterno and Coach Bowden, standing up and said, we don't need a playoff. There's too much pressure on coaches. And i never forget that when I was sitting there. I said, you kidding me? Uh, high, there's nothing better and more exciting in high school and, and college than what you guys are doing right now. Um, but, Coach, you know, you, you come from a football family. You, you, Chris was, was a head coach at Tulane at one time. And uh, and and, uh, and Sam, this has been a big supporter in the whole deal. You must have the most fun when you guys get around. Uh, please tell us the, the, the group about the, your boys, too. And I know one of them is coaching with you. Yeah, Anthony's coaching with me now. He's coaching our wideouts. He's our pass game coordinator. Uh, you know, he played at Tulane. Uh, he, he played for uh, Bob Toledo. He, we signed him, and then he uh, ended up starting for Bob Toledo after we got let go. And then he played baseball then and got drafted in baseball and uh, played for Tampa Bay for about, I think it was five years. He was in their organization and uh, got let go from there, went back, got his degree from Tulane because he came out as a junior. And Went to work at Morgan Stanley, started making a bunch of money, and for whatever unknown reason, decided he wanted to do this, right? Uh, I didn't raise him well, or maybe his mama did, and I don't know. But uh, he's he's really doing a great job. He's got a heck of a recruiter. Heck of, he's very organized and has a good way with the kids. And then my other son, Jordan, is a uh, medical device salesperson in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Doing oh, real well. He's coming in for the game this weekend. I'm really looking forward to seeing him. He's uh He's just awesome. He's really doing well. Our family's healthy. We're, you know, just blessed. I got a couple of grandkids, and they're here with me all the time because they're Anthony's and his wife, Bailey. And so I get a chance to see them on a regular basis. 
Well, Coach, I mean, uh, listen, I know you got a lot to prepare for. Uh, you can tell by the interview why you're so successful. And, Coach, we, we wish you all the luck in the world against against Idaho. And, uh, and, uh, and listen, I got a feeling this won't be your last job. I, I don't know if it is or not, Coach. I, I, I'll tell you this. I don't know when I'm going to stop doing this. You know, you went for a long time before you finally – and I don't know what the heck you're doing now. I mean, gosh, dog, this is amazing that you got all this set up. I just, you didn't even work this <laughs> uh, if, if, if I knew how to smoke wacky, we'd be doing that. But it's unfortunate I can't do that. I still have a flip phone. But, uh, no, I appreciate it. I hope a lot of people got a chance to come out to Strawberry Stadium Saturday night at 6 o'clock and – uh, you know, we're gonna we'll, we'll we're gonna play for sixty minutes. I don't know what the scoreboard's gonna end up like, but you can bet the Lions will play for sixty minutes. That's great to hear, Coach. Coach, thank you so much, and good luck. And please uh, give Holly hope for me, will you? Uh, same same thing there with Nancy, man. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate you. All right, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. We want to once again thank Head Coach Frank Selfo of Southeastern Louisiana for joining us, and we want to before we had to break thank LSR for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Shiro, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available at your local associated grocers and Ross's supermarkets. Remember, in our last segment, we're going to have turf or grass, pregame routines, and historic Metro and River Parish coaches in Louisiana. So remember, you're watching on Varsity Sports Now. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Starting in 1981 as an industrial vacuum truck company, A3M Vacuum Services has grown to be an industry leader in waste disposal services. Whether it's providing cleanup crews for plant maintenance or emergency crews for environmental cleanup and disposable projects around the river parishes and New Orleans, A3M Vacuum Services maintains the same level of personal customer relations and work ethic that founder Pat Sellers started almost 40 years ago. Proud supporters of Comet Athletics. If you're looking for commercial or residential dump truck services, go with R&K Construction. This family-owned and operated business has great trucks and are big supporters of high school sports. Smoothie King of the Plus thanks to the community for 29 years. 
through the good times and the toughest times, Smoothie King has been here to serve our guests. Whether you're looking for a keto-friendly smoothie, a recovery smoothie, or a healthy, refreshing snack, Smoothie King has you covered. Discover all the ways to be your best self and rule the day with Smoothie King. If you're in need of storage space at your home or business, stop by and visit with the good folks at Acadia LLC. Seth Boudreaux and his employees are there weekdays from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and Saturdays from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Give them a shout at 985-359-1333 or visit them at 1301 West Airline Highway in Laplace. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. We are in our Let's Be Frank segment, but we'd like to thank Riverlands Insurance for sponsoring our show. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has always been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Coach, uh, in the Let's Be Frank segment this week, you want to talk about the debate over turf or grass. So, Coach, um, can you talk us through this one? Yeah. Uh, you know, the, I didn't realize that it was such a controversy until a couple of weeks ago. And that, uh, the, the, actually playing on both and, and being involved with it. When I was at Tulane, we played on, on it naturally in the, in the Superdome at that particular time. Uh, we didn't have it at my high school at St. Charles Catholic, uh, Will Grassfield. But lately, it's come about, and some of the pro players are the ones that are bringing it up, the NFL themselves, and, and they're committing. And they're trying to say, you know, why? And the biggest thing is they're having these non-contact injuries. And most of them are knees that, that are going the other direction for whatever it is. And uh, so, you know, you say, well, what's the benefit of, of having turf? One, uh, the benefit is that I think if, if it rains, you got a solid surface to play on. You know, you're going to have decent footing. Uh, on, on, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the striping wall would be, be very, very visible. Uh, there's there's some advantage there. And, uh, you know, the, 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 I think that... For the most part, uh, the, the, every step will be a sure step. Uh, some of the negatives what they're what they're talking about now, and and, and also, uh, you know, it takes the drama out of where you're going to practice. If it rains one day, you know you can practice on the turf rather than going to slop around in the mud. That's a huge huge advantage for teams that have it. I would, did not have that benefit when I was in high school to have a turf field, but I can see that that benefit. What the NFL is talking about, and just recently the negatives are the non-contact injuries. Uh, Matt Straub was on, on TV just this morning, and he was talking about that. He said the owners the owners don't mind spending millions and maybe a billion to build a stadium, but yet the, the players. They need more safety. They need more safety. And in terms of this, not only is the, the knee injuries a, a concern, uh, with the find out the quarterback gets dumped and his shoulder is, is thrown into the ground or running back is thrown to the ground. So it's, it's created some unhealthy situation for him, uh, aside from the regular contact. You know, so uh, they're, they're legislating right now, maybe to do something about that now. Um, can they qualify how many injuries on, on turf compared to grass? Uh, I have not seen the statistics. I'm sure the NFL has, has something like that. Uh, on top of that, you get a lot of abrasions and scrapes, and these things can, can get bacteria in there and also create a problem. And that's why you see a lot of these guys wearing the tape they put on their arms when they're playing on, on turf so they don't, they don't get those things. But, but um, you know, a turf normally – is, is different, and some are better than others, especially on the high school level, some of the cheaper brand. Uh, now, most turfs are, are to have a 10-year warranty. 
And uh, some of them have the rubber pellets in it. That's another thing that can kind of fly up and get in your eyes. That's not a, that's not a dangerous thing. Uh, but on the flip side of it, you know, when you have grass on the field, you have to constantly cut it at least three or four times a week. You have to herbicide it. You have to fertilize that the grass, and you have to water it. I mean, that, there's a lot of work. I know I lived that. I lived that life for, for many, many years, you know, and, and had to do it all myself and uh, that sort of thing. So that's a big, big deal. But right now, I really can see what the concern is from uh, from the NFL, and because you know in college they can they can have it. A player's gonna play in college maybe maybe two or three years in high school, maybe two or three years. But when you get an NFL player, they're gonna play on that stuff for 10, 15 years. And I might add this: uh, one year when I was at Tulane, uh, Coach Bobby Bowden was at Florida State, and they were practicing for the Sugar Bowl, and uh, they practiced at our place at Tulane University at the time. And we talked about that, and he and I said, Coach, I said. What we did every now and then, we practiced on grass because the turf wears your legs down and you get leg weary. And he said, really? And I think he, he listened to that a little bit because he was practicing the Superdome every day for that bowl game. And I think he did go to a couple of grass fields and, and get you know, freshen his team up a little bit because it does have wear and tear on your legs. And even as a coach, you can feel that difference. So I can see this being a very, very controversial issue going forward. Uh, I can see a lot of teams swapping to it. Now, it, will it be expensive for some of the Dome teams to do it? Yes, they will be. Because uh, like in Dallas, they have to find a way to put the grass out there a certain amount of time and then move it back in. Um, but there's there's a huge, huge difference between playing turf and playing on the grass as far as the injuries are concerned. Uh, the, the plus factor is, is that fact, like when you get inclement weather, you, at least you have a decent footing and, um, and the balls, you, you, at least you can have a dry ball most of the time. So my take on, on turf, take it what it is. And I know the players committee is trying to do something about it and uh, maybe about returning at least some of the other fields back to grass. If you take a look at the way Arizona has their field set up, though, they have the they have their dome, but they have like it's is that device that it pulls the grass onto the field, and that's a really cool thing. I don't know how feasible that is for some places to do. I know the Superdome obviously wouldn't be able to have a retractable grass field in theirs, but again, I think that's a very interesting topic that you brought up, Coach. Thanks for discussing that today. But let's go ahead and look at the expertise that you have as a coach and take a look at pre-game routines so coach can you take us through pre-game routines what's important and how do you approach each game the same way uh, jason i want to talk about this because as a uh, if you've never played the game of football if you're a parent uh, if you're just a fan uh if you if you've been playing the band and you never played the game of football it's hard for you to comprehend this part of the game and, um, you know, all week long, the intensity builds up. You prepare for a game, you run your gassers, you weight lift, you watch a lot of tape, and you practice two to two and a half hours a day. You practice Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday comes as the light, light, light walkthrough, uh, probably in shorts and helmets, and then Friday, here comes the game. Well, the pregame routine that I would like to follow, and, it's, and I like to think a lot of people do something similar to this, and I, I think, you know, uh, some of the sisters that, that were with me, I think they, they, they kind of liked it. And, you know, they, 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 they do the same thing. They copied it. But after school, one thing, one thing I started to do, uh, we had a mass for the players. It was mandatory. They went to mass. And before that time, they had a prayer service. So I had a mass. And, and uh, whether they were Catholic or not, it did not matter because we were Catholic school. It did not matter. I mean, and they all accepted that. 
and the priest didn't, didn't mind that whatsoever. But the mass was 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 mandatory, and then we all went to a pregame meal. Now that that just took place, and and the reason why I kept the kids there and I did not let them go home, uh, prior to me taking the job at St. Charles Catholic, there was some kids went home to grab their clothes, get some get a pregame meal, and then came back to school. And on the way back, they got in a car accident. And some of those guys were not able to play that night. Thank God they were all okay. Uh, but like three of the five guys in the car could not play that night. So I said, well, I would never do that. I'm going to keep my players here and uh, make sure that I, I got my hand on them. They, I know exactly where they are. Well, anyway, after that, we had the pregame meal. Now, the pregame meal was some kind of pasta. It was some kind of pasta. It wasn't a big, it wasn't a real big feast. I had some parents come in and, and they would cook the pasta and uh, and, they, and they would they would cook a, um, Miss Giselle Murphy did it for years for me. She did cook a red gravy or, or the white gravy and uh, some kind of pasta. And then we gave them a little piece of bread. We gave them a cookie and we gave them Gatorade. Uh, they, we, they were told to stay away from milk and tea at that time of the day. Now we wanted them to have milk at lunch. We wanted them to have milk at breakfast and, and, and maybe tea, but not prior because uh, the uh, tea is, it can cause dehydration, it has an herb in it that causes certain dehydration. So we made sure that the pregame meal was something that was healthy for them and can get them through a ball game. And then after that, the, the, the tough part comes. Then after that, we would go to the locker room. The guys would get taped and then, and then they had what we call quiet time. For the next hour, hour and a half, uh, they would they could put their headsets on and listen to music, but they were never allowed to have, bring a cell phone. Their cell phone was locked in a locker. They could not use it until after the ball game. I did not want any distractions. Didn't want them texting anybody. And uh, but they, they could listen to music. And uh, this was pretty cool. Some of them went to sleep and took a nap, and others just just sat there, maybe watched some tape on their iPad to watch a little bit more of the game and something like that. But the lights were completely out. And uh, it was completely silent. Uh, they could they could talk, but most of the time it was completely uh, complete silence in there. And then after that, uh, at about five thirty, we'd blow the whistle, and every player would go to the position coach for just a little tip sheet. And the coaches gave them a little tip sheet about reminders about what they worked on all week long, what they have to focus on in the game. Then after that, we blew another whistle ten minutes later, and they went to what we called unit meetings, where the offense met one group and the defense met over here. And then after that ten minutes, uh, we blew another whistle, and the entire team gathered around, and up on the board were tips for special teams. And the way we did it, every coach had a special team that they'd go up there and they would list the things on the board that we focused in on, on those special teams. Like for instance, uh, this day in a five man rush, in a 10 man rush, this team, we can, we can uh, pressure the punter. We might be able to get a block punt and stuff like that. And, and the whole deal. So every coach had that and uh, that went quite well. And then the head coach would get up there, the final part of it. And we would go over things, goals for the offense, goals for the defense, Go for the special team. He said, what kind of goals are you talking about? Goals like, okay, in order for us to win this game, we need to rush for 200 yards. In order for us to win this game, we need to have zero turnovers. In order for us to win this game, we need to have zero holding calls. And then on the defensive side, no explosive plays. Uh, you know, we need to have at least two turnovers, force two turnovers, not just get two turnovers, but force two, things like that on the board. And then for special team, we had a thing we called DSA which stands for drive start average. We want our drive start average to be at least the 35 yard line, 40 yard line, and that would make it a 60 yard field or 65 yard field. You have a chance to score some points in. But all those things went into play and then 
we blew the whistle and everybody started getting ready to go out on the field for their pregame routine. But that intensity really, really starts to build at that particular time. The kids get really hyped up and excited and uh, for the big ball game. And I mean, you know, uh, one, one little uh, remark I like to make is that I've always watched the bathroom. I can tell when my team was ready. When, when I saw a lot of guys going to the bathroom and, they, and I knew that they were ready, when I could see that all of a sudden that nervousness would, would crop up and that nervousness created the, them to, to want to go to the bathroom. And uh, so I had a, I won't express what I called it, but I had a, had a little uh, a meter, I would call it, and a, a barometer, so to speak, and I could tell when my team was ready. Sometimes you can't tell, but when you saw that, you knew that they would play well and they would play hard. But that's, a, that's my football one-on-one for the week. All right, Coach, I've got a few follow-ups uh, on this one for you. So what I didn't tell you is I've been, I've been wanting you to go this way for a while because we have a alumni St. Charles football page where we post, you know, it, we, there's not a ton of posts on there, but I, I mentioned a few things. And I mentioned, you know, guys, tell me what's your favorite pregame Coach Michael speech because I think when you, when you look at all of the things you mentioned, just the amount of even the, the tea that you mentioned, like I, I had no idea about that. So – your attention to detail is unparalleled, but somebody made the comment. They said, Co- Coach Monica would always say that we peeing down our leg or that we couldn't pee a drop. I just want to know, can you ask, Coach, what's the right <laughs> amount of pee? So, like, I thought the fact that you just mentioned that makes it so much better. Because I've been sitting on – Coach, I've been sitting on that for about three months. And some the, the, the speeches that you gave – so, again, for those who don't know, Coach obviously was a um, – was a history teacher and he would always use it um in those pre-game speeches before the game and most of them uh the ones that stuck out i should say again i i asked and i got a few but there's one that stuck out to me in particular but um one was uh, you mentioned cortez and burning the ships and you know like playing what's in front of you and the other another one was um the 300 spartans and you know holding your ground and it was most of the time you use that one at home when we were playing on our home field. And it was also the gladiator mention of whatever comes out the gate, we have to attack it. But coach, my, I would want to say my favorite because when you would give this speech, I knew it was over. Like I knew we weren't going to win the game. And it was <laughs> no, it's, it's, it was normally when we played a team that we were outmatched by most of the time it was John Curtis, but you, you gave this one a few times. And I would, it, it always kind of made me chuckle a little bit. So you would give the Bumblebee speech, Coach. Remember the Bumblebee speech? Bumblebee. That was my favorite I, one. Coach, you get really intense. Those, say, guys, guys, a Bumblebee is not supposed to fly. Its wing, <laughs> its, its body's too big. Its wings are too small. But we're gonna, we're gonna come up there and win the game. Just like that. I was like, I was like, Coach, just jinx us. <laughs> now we, now we, now we got no shot winning this game. But um. Well, I always loved listening the, to them. The, the Joe Lewis and um, Rocky Marciano. Do you remember that one? I, I don't remember. Like I said, Coach, you gave so many go. Can you can you remind me about that one? Yeah, well, and Joe, Joe Lewis was a fancy fighter with great footwork, and he, he could jab, he could punch. He was hard to hit, you know, something like that. And he fought Rocky Marciano, who was a street fighter. He wasn't a classic fighter. Uh, he was just a, a brutal ballroom brawler, basically. And Joe Lewis was light on his feet, was pretty. He was really fun to watch. But Marciano beat him. And, um, and, 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 and it was 15 rounds. And then all of a sudden, after the, the commentator asked him, he said, what punch hurt you the most? He said, every one of them. So he said, it, it wasn't a knockout punch, he said, but every punch 
hurt me. In other words, it, it, even if he hit me in the stomach, he hurt my arm. He said by the end of the, at the end of the fight, I couldn't lift my arms up because he was bruising. And uh, so I hear tell him it's not, it's all those little jabs that count. It's not the knockout, but it every play basically you associate that with every play in football. I do not say I do remember, but um, again, thank you for that, Coach. And uh, we're going to go ahead and move forward to the blitz the ball, Coach segment uh and this week's question was how do you decide on personnel uh, a very good question uh, jason uh, this is what we do first of all when a guy comes in and he wants to play a position i ask him say where do you like to play so he goes i like to be a tight end we try him at tight end we put him there maybe for 10 seconds but no really we give him an opportunity give him an opportunity really to to fail and uh, let him play that position until he realizes wait a minute now i'm, I'm not suited for this and then we'll and if I do change a position, I always sit down with that player. I just don't say, hey, you, go over here. I sit down with that player and say, listen, we need help with the offensive line. I know you want to play defensive line because it's glamorous and stuff like that. You know, because offensive linemen are hard, hard to find. Most kids want to play defense. They get their name called. They get more notoriety. But I would, first of all, ask that guy, I said, okay, what position do you want to play? Secondly, uh, it's through evaluation. I would look through the spring, for instance, and look at spring and all the spring work that we did with the weightlifting to the strength level, uh, his quickness level, because we timed him in the spring. We did a series of things in, in the spring. We called the Ironman competition, which meant your 40-yard dash time, running a mile and a half, your bench press, uh, your deadlift, your uh, your squat. Uh, we'd look at your 40-yard dash time, your shuttle time. All these factors went to say, well, this guy might be pretty good at this position. Also, uh, by training them to see, did he have decent hands? A lot of guys could really have been, been good receivers, but they couldn't catch. So that's not, that makes for a good receiver. Excuse me, that doesn't mean that he's not going to be a, a, a good receiver. He won't be a good defensive back, but you like to see a guy being able to catch the ball. And it's the same thing with backs. You want to see the guys that, that uh, had this, this little thing. Now, sometimes you're wrong. Sometimes you miss. I, I look at LSU. No one can tell me that LSU didn't make a mistake on Perkins at first because the guy didn't even play. He wasn't even on the field at first. I think it's, it's a matter of once he did get on the field, all of a sudden he said, wait, wait a minute now. This guy makes some plays. We better keep him out there. So, I mean, because if he knew he would be that good, he definitely would have started from game one. So it takes a little time sometimes to, for you to evaluate that that, that ability. And, and sometimes from punting and kicking, sometimes you have to make players. Um, it's like a punter. A lot of teams come in, they don't have a, a punter. And um, if you took your whole football team and you had 90 players left and you said, hold the ball and show them how you punt, 85 would not even know how to hold it to punt it. I want you to know that. And that's, that's a fact. So, but And the other thing is never say never on a player. Never say never. Don't ever say this player will never never play. I remember a kid. I had a Jesuit high school. The coaches, he was so clumsy. As a sophomore, the coach said, Coach, please cut this kid. I didn't believe in cutting. I still don't. I didn't believe in cutting. And, and I, I'm glad I stuck to my gun there. I said, Coach, cut him. He's going to get somebody hurt. The guy cannot play. He's, he's, he's always in the wrong spot. Coach, by the time that guy was a senior, he was a starter for us. He ended up being 6'3", 215, made an all-district, and now he's one of the most successful lawyers in New Orleans. So I'm certainly glad I, I didn't cut him just in case I need a lawyer. But basically, that's it by, by, by a lot of evaluation, and sometimes it's luck, uh, and, and sometimes it's just you try them until they fail, and then you move position where they can have some success, and I think that's important. And Coach, you would use the uh, – you know, I'm, I'm probably going to botch it, but it was the uh... – Barracudas and piranhas—is that what you call that 
was that the spring segment where you'd have the the switch positions where you'd have offensive players on defense and defense players on offense? Yeah, we had all kind of names. But then we had I had the water moccasins, and then I had the, then I had the cobras. And the, on the other side, I had the the sharks and the barracudas. On the other side, so yeah. you know, mean fish, and then uh, and uh, that was pretty cool. And the guys identified with that. How much? How much did you utilize that in terms of deciding personnel when talking about changing? Because I know you would some thought went into testing those guys in spring, but like how much thought goes into uh, moving a guy to a different position in the, the upcoming season uh, based on spring practice and the other side of the ball. I think that spring practice is very crucial. That's one thing I want to Spring for me was one, to evaluate talent, and two, I wanted my guys to be competitive. And I wanted them to be competitive, and I wanted to keep football in front of them because if you didn't play a spring game, I felt like they had their eyes on other sports. They had their eyes on track and baseball. That's, that's really big. And that's going to be one of my segments in the future. And I will talk about that because numbers are dwindling in football. And, and uh, that'll be my segment next week for, for, um, for, for let's be frank segment. But uh, I think you, you really look at kids. And, and again, like I said before, uh, if they're not having success at one position and you want to get them on the field, the most important thing you do for a, a kid is give him hope. And you give him hope by saying this is your role in your team. This is your role, whatever the, the sport is, your role, he might get in maybe just when you're playing nickel package, but he knows that it's nickel package time, he's in the ball game. That he knows his role and you appreciate that. You would never have a problem with a kid as long as he knows his role. Thank you coach for that. And we're gonna move on to our thanks for the memory segment where you wanted to look at historic and Metro, historic Metro and Bird Parish coaches in particular when you were younger and either playing or coaching. So uh, can you dive into that for us? Oh, my God. Jason, there's so many guys I want to thank for. They were friends. They were, we were competitive against one another. But, you know, you could call them. And, and I don't remember, ever remember a time when I called a coach and said, no, coach, you, you're, you're SOB and I'm not swapping film with you or something like that. Uh, even though I think they knew that we would be gladiators against one another on the field. We do everything we can to win legally. And, uh, and, and after the ball game, we will be close, close friends and, and talk and, and see one another. And I think uh, you, know, uh, you respect the, the integrity of the game. You respect other coaches, too. And I think that was very, very important. And there, there, were, there were times, I mean, you say, well, my, why is this guy doing this or whatever? But I think you understand. But going back to some of the River Parish and Metro guys that, that I've got to know during the year, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm just throwing some out, and, um, and I, I – I'm not going to mention all of them, but this is a, a ton of them. You know, first of all, you got Coach Jenkins right there at Lutcher, who's a great coach. He's, he's, um, you know, he's he's still there. Coach Detillier, who I coached myself at Lutcher, and he went on to win several state championships at, at Lutcher himself. You know, really missing. We're still friends. Coach Larry Dotrieve, uh, we talk at least two, three times a week, and. Uh, very, very close. He was at ended his career at East St. John as, as a coach and coached in college and coached in Canadian League. Uh, you know, Laurie Dupont, one of the winningest coaches and ever. And, and, and uh, you know, Larry and Tim, uh, for instance, they're in the Hall of Fame, uh, those guys. And uh, Laurie Dupont also in, in the Hall of Fame. Laurie Dupont at West St. John had a lot, a lot of success. Uh, Steve Robichaud, um, you know, uh, Ru Ru Rudy Dinvo at, over at West St. John, Steve Robichaud at, at, at Destrahan, very good friends, has some skins on the wall, will be Hall of Fame one day. Rick Gailey, my good friend Rick Gailey passed away. Um, he was, you know, we worked together at Tulane one time, then he went on to St. James. A quick story about that. He, Rick applied for the St. James job and nobody knew him from Adam. The, the superintendent 
Um, Ms. Poirier called me the night before and said, Coach, I'm about ready to name Rick Gailey head coach. He said, um, is, am I making the right decision? I said, make that decision. You'll never look back. And, boys, was that a great decision on their part because um, uh, he was a – they didn't know who he was. He went on to be a great, great coach, Coach Crochet from Lauraville. A good friend. We talk often about football. We had similar, similar value system and probably would have loved to have coached together at one time. Uh, coach Hank Tiernett Shaw. We had some major battles when I was at, at Jesuit against Shaw High School and, and uh, Coach Tierney is still active in coaching. Coach Zimmerman from De La Salle. You know, we, we were all together in the Catholic League at one time with uh, with Hank there, Tom Gruber was at Holy Cross, uh, and um, got to be a good friend then Bobby Conlon, that brother Martin. Which, uh, what can you say about Coach Conlon? I mean, he's a you know he was a fixture there for many many years, and and he's an icon in, in, in that group. And uh, George Ryan was at Romo High School. Uh, Tony Biegas at, at Saint Augustine High School. We had some battles there. One of the biggest battles we've ever had. We played them in front of nineteen thousand people on a Sunday afternoon one time. Coach Bill Cemento at Chalmette. He used to also be in part of the Catholic League uh, at, at one time and ran the wing tee and when nobody else was running. Uh, Coach Mickey Russo, who uh, who's still you know around at, over at, at Riverside. Um, uh, Coach John White. And Coach John and I used to talk a little bit. He's now an assistant at, at, at Riverside. Now I go back, who got his start me, Coach Lou Sanimo, who uh, I work under at Dutcher when I first got there. My first job was with Coach Lou Sanimo and a good friend of mine, Coach Leroy uh, Westgivich, who passed away. And we talked on, on a daily basis. Uh, Coach Donnell Lee at, at, at the East Ascension. Uh, I mean, these these are some, some of the guys that, that I remember uh, from from memories and and I mean I just can't say enough about them and uh, you know when you see them on the street you talk with them and at, at times I mean Coach Don Rodriguez was was down always calling and and keeping us abreast about what's going on these guys are special friends that you never at just a coaching fraternity is a fraternity like you've never seen before and I, I'm so glad to be a pro- part of that uh, feeling like that I can call those guys at any time and they'll do anything for you. So uh, thanks for the memories, guys, and and uh, and I'm sure there's some guys out, that, out there that I missed. And Coach Easton Roth uh, was a guy that gave me a chance to uh, – what a great coach that he was with skins on the wall at Rummel, and he's the one that hired me at first to, to go to uh, Jesuit High School. So um, congratulations to you guys, and, and God bless all of you. Thank you so much, Coach, for that. And let's go to our final segment, which is our lock of the week. Coach, who are you liking this week? I like Tulane. I'm going with I'm going with Tulane against it's a two a two point spread. I'm going with Tulane in this one based on what I saw last week, Jason. But uh, it won't be easy, so uh, let's let's go with them. It's gonna be a tight game for sure. I'm gonna go with uh, Ohio State seven and a half points at home against Michigan. Michigan, I, I don't know if they have the horses to compete. Uh, Corum looked a little bit banged up at the end of that game. I don't know if he's gonna be able to go. And I think that Ohio State offensively will overwhelm this Michigan defense. I think they have a very talented quarterback and wide receivers. I think – here's the trick for LSU fans, though, Coach. So I've been thinking about the scenario. They, I think they still need a team to lose. I don't think they get in with um, – I think they need a little bit of help. I think the problem is LSU can't beat Ohio State. But if Ohio State would lose this game, then they would probably get the nod over them in the playoffs. And the, the I, was, inverse, I, I was going to say that. The you know, and that's, the, for the committee, what do you yeah. do with the team that loses that game? That's I mean, the big question. Out. 
you can't knock them out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because they they're both undefeated. So you so they're they're going to be one of the four. The big question is whether TCU wins. And uh, and I think a lot of people like to see them lose because they don't feel like they played the schedule that the rest of them have. Now and you also and yet they've coached they've had Clemson. Yeah, coach. The sad thing is, Dave. Statistically speaking, TCU has played a tougher schedule than Georgia. So mm-hmm. I think, and I've heard this mentioned. I think part of the problem is we people view TCU so much through that lens of group of five, group of five, group of five. But they've been a very competitive power five program in the past decade or so. And you know, um, I think if if they had a Oklahoma logo on their chest or a Texas logo on their chest, would we be having this conversation? Probably not. No. So I, look I, I, think, the, I have to look for Notre Dame to knock off UFC this week. I I completely that. agree with you on that one. I think yeah. I think you. I'm going to say it now before it gets late. I think USC loses two more games. I think they lose to Oregon and they lose to Notre Dame. But that's going to do it for us, Coach. Um, any final thoughts before we head out? No, guys. Listen, just everybody out there have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, don't forget, don't forget to thank the Lord for all the many, many blessings that we have. All right, thank you so much. And before we get out of here, we want to make sure you guys know where to follow us and find us on social media. Again, you can follow us on Facebook at the Let's Be Frank Video Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at the LBF Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to the audio version on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And that'll do it. Remember, we'll be here next week once again. We'll be talking semifinal matchups which should be very exciting and that'll do it so for justin thomas for head coach frank monica i am jason Dewey, and remember let's say ball and turn away love the good times roll